I don't know who your favourite fictional detective is. Maybe you like uh, Inspector Morse or Jessica Fletcher. Sherlock Holmes, maybe. Tom Barnaby is another one, or more recently, Tom Matthias. Uh, if you watch a lot of detective programmes on TV or read the books, what happens is you get to know some of the phrases, isn't it? You get to know kind of how they talk when they arrest somebody, the, the phrase that they'd say. Uh, but another thing you get to know is the, the way they go about uh, finding out about uh, the murders or the different things that have gone on. And one of the questions that they ask is this, where were you on the night in question? Where were you when that happened? They're trying to find out, aren't they, if the person uh, has an alibi, if they can place them at the scene of the crime. Because if they can, then obviously you've found the guilty person. Now, when it comes to the cross of Jesus today, I'm going to ask us a question. Where were you on the night in question? When Jesus died, where were you? Now, you might think, well, Andrew, that's a ridiculous question. It was 2,000 years ago. You know, I wasn't alive then. How could you ask that? But if we're to really understand the cross today, we need to understand this. We caused the death of Jesus. We were guilty. And in one sense, we were there. In the passage that we read earlier, there are three sections with three different people or groups of people. We see Judas, we see the religious leaders, and we see Peter. And each one of these contribute in some way to the death of Jesus. You know, without these bits happening, then the cross wouldn't have happened. And so we see they're all to blame in some sense for the death of Jesus. But what we're going to see as well is that when we ask the same questions that uh, these are guilty of, we find that we're guilty too. See, we are guilty of the death of Jesus. We will be placed at the scene of the, the, of the crime, as it were. So the first question I'm going to ask us is this. Have you betrayed Jesus? Have you betrayed Jesus? Let's look at that arrest from verse 43 down to 52. Now, Jesus has just been agonizing in Gethsemane. Um, he's had a foretaste of the cross. He has been in pain and agony, thinking about what he's going to go through. But while he was in the garden, Judas, who'd earlier left after the, the Last Supper, comes with, verse 43, he comes with a crowd. It tells us, what we're, what we're, look at us what we're told about Judas. He was one of the twelve. Now, the reason we're told that is because it emphasizes, isn't it, this is one who was close to Jesus. This is one who had the privilege of, of being able to spend so much time with Jesus, one of the twelve. He could have asked Jesus whatever question was on his mind. He would have um, heard him answer questions that the other disciples asked. He would have counseled them with their problems. He saw things that weren't recorded in the Gospels that nobody else has seen. Now, we know the story, don't we? We know the name Judas we kind of use as an insult now, don't we, for somebody who's unfaithful, who's betrayed someone. We say, oh, you're a Judas. But back then, they didn't know. Now, when Jesus at the Last Supper said, one of you is going to betray me to the 12 disciples, they didn't go, oh yeah, obviously it's Judas. They didn't know. They couldn't work it out. You know, Jesus said, isn't he, the one who dips his bread in with me now is going to betray me. Somebody that close, somebody that intimately who knows me. So Judas saw so many things. He was close to Jesus and yet he hated Jesus. Now, before going on, can you see the warning that there is for us here? You can know lots about Jesus. You can know all the questions and the answers. You can uh, understand a lot of what's going on. And yet, you cannot truly be trusting him. 
So the question we've got to ask ourselves as we look at Judas here is, are you truly trusting and following Jesus? Are you really depending on him? Have you given him your life? No one knew it was Judas. He looked the part. He played the part. He fooled everybody. But his heart was nowhere near, nowhere near Jesus. The truth is this morning, God knows our heart. He knows your heart. Stop pretending. If you're putting on a front, you need to be real with him today. You need to admit to him where you stand. You know, we might think, um, looking at Judas and looking at the other people, maybe we think, oh, what would it take for me to believe in Jesus? Maybe that's you this morning. You're kind of exploring these things. What would it take for me to believe? Oh, if I was there, then I'd have believed. If I'd have seen Jesus doing the miracles, then I'd believe. But look at this again for a warning. You can see it all, and then you can miss it. See, trusting in Jesus isn't just about head knowledge. It's believing more than that. It's seeing that Jesus is true, seeing that you can hand your life over to him, seeing that you can trust him with everything. Judas saw so much, but he was miles away from Jesus. He hated Jesus, and that needs to warn us this morning. But back to the story, you can imagine, can't you, um, Jesus is there in, this, in the darkness of the garden, and in the distance they see the great crowd coming, coming over. And John, in his gospel, tells that Judas comes with a cohort, and that's Roman army terminology for about 600 people. So 600 people come in into this dark garden. Remember back then there weren't any photographs, so lots of people wouldn't have known what Jesus looked like. So Judas had a way to point him out. What was he going to do? He was going to do it with a kiss. This large crowd makes its way over to Jesus. Judas is leading the pack. And look what verse 45 tells us, he says, Rabbi. It's an over-the-top greeting, very dramatic. You know, it gives the idea that he was kind of showing off, enjoying being centre of attention. And there he is, the 600 crowd. They need Judas to be able to point out who Jesus is. So Judas is in control. He looks in the ascendancy and he is loving it. And then he goes over to Jesus and he kisses him. Now, in that culture, a kiss was quite a common thing. It was a sign of respect. If you were to, um, had a, if you had a teacher you respected, you would kiss the hem of their garment. If you wanted to honour somebody or respect somebody, you would kiss their hand. But you know, a kiss on the face was a really personal thing, only for close, intimate friendships. It was a sign of affection. And so Judas you know, didn't just give him an embarrassed peck on the cheek. This was him doing an elaborate show, saying, this is the one you went. There's Jesus being betrayed by this close friend. And then he looks around, and what does he see in verse 50? They've all left him and fled. All his disciples now have run away. They've left him all alone. Verse 52 tells us that somebody left him and ran away naked. They'd, they'd rather run away naked than they would be seen with Jesus. See, when we look at Judas, we can often think, you know, it's his fault. If Judas wouldn't have betrayed Jesus, then Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross. He was responsible. Now, in one sense, that is true. Uh, but in another sense, if we leave it just at Judas's fault, we miss the whole point of the cross. Because Jesus knew that the cross had to happen. He's just said in the passage before this, you know, no, I need to do this. Not my will, but God's will be done. He had to go to the cross. He knew. But what was happening at the cross? 
Jesus, when he was going to the cross, was going to take the blame for us. He was going to take the hit, be punished in our place. As Martin Luther says, we carry the nail, nails of Jesus in our pockets. We are guilty for his death. He went for us. Now, have you ever thought about that before? You and I are guilty of the death of the Son of God. It's our fault. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is speaking to the people who put Jesus on the cross. And listen to what he says. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, be baptised, every one of you in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And they were added that day 3,000 souls to the church. See, they realised that they were responsible for Jesus' death. Now, not just, not just that one act, but, but, but something deeper than that. The deeper reason he died. That's why they needed to ask for forgiveness for all of their sins. And they were forgiven. Forgiven for killing the Son of God. Now, there's wonderful hope today. Even though that is uncomfortable to hear that we're guilty of that, it also is wonderfully encouraging. A way to get this across is something I read a while back in uh, one of Rebecca Manley Pippet's books. Uh, she has um, tells of this time where she was speaking in a conference and uh, a lady came up to her after and this lady was f- really upset, full of tears in her eyes. And she said, look, I used to work for a church and I got pregnant and I was embarrassed because I wasn't married and I was, um, I was just embarrassed to tell anyone uh, about what had happened and I, I couldn't bear it. So I had an abortion and I was full of guilt. I'm a murderer, she thought. Uh, you know, I was too proud to be exposed for the wrong I'd done and, and I've murdered an innocent baby. I can't forgive myself. Now, what do you say to that? Here's this woman full of tears, full of emotion. Rebecca Manley Pippet said this, you know, this isn't the first time your sin has led to a death. It's the second. Our sin, she said, sent Jesus to the cross. And as this dawned on the lady, she said this, you know, I've been struggling with forgiveness for what I've done, but you're telling me I've done something worse. I've murdered the innocent son of God. And then she realized the cross shows me I'm worse than I ever imagined. But it's that very sin that's absorbed by Jesus on the cross. You see, this woman was transformed by understanding the cross, that the cross shows me how deeply wicked I am, but how deeply loved I am at the same time. Now today, do you feel weighed down by guilt? Are you aware of something that you just can't shake off and you just think there is no way that God could forgive me for this? You see, he forgives here. Um, in, In the Bible, we see him forgiving people who have done the worst of sins, killed the innocent son of God and they're forgiven for that so if you can be forgiven for that you can be forgiven for anything you are deeply loved the cross shows us so let me ask you this question have you betrayed Jesus you know we all have and yet today there can be forgiveness the second question I want to ask us is this have you dismissed Jesus have you dismissed Jesus? Remember, we're seeing that if we answer these questions, we are, we are placed uh, in, in the guilty spot on that night in question. Have you dismissed Jesus? Verses 53 to 65. They take Jesus from Gethsemane 
and they take him in front of the Sanhedrin, which is kind of the equivalent of Parliament today. Um, but what the rulers do here in order to have this trial to try and find Jesus guilty is totally illegal on so many levels. First of all, trials had to take part in the day. This was taking part in the night. And if they had found somebody guilty, uh, they needed two days to take two days to kind of uh, work that through. But they did it in one night. They needed to have two or more witnesses to agree. But you see what happens in verses 61 and 62? None of them agree. They can't agree on th uh, one testimony together. Not only that, but at the end we're told that they begin to spit on him, to strike him, verse 65. Does that sound like a fair trial to you? Does that sound upright and, and correct? See, why did this happen? Look at verse 55. It tells us, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. So they were going into this trial and they wanted to find him guilty. This wasn't fair. This was bias. They were going against it. They had an agenda and they decided that Jesus was guilty before they had the trial. And they were going to reach their own conclusions, whatever it took. And it tells us this, doesn't it? That they couldn't find any guilt in him. They couldn't find anything that he'd done wrong. They looked at Jesus trying to find him guilty and they couldn't. They still wanted him dead. Now, why would they want him dead? Well, in the next chapter, Pilate uh, speaks to Jesus. In verse 10, we tell, he says there, he perceived that it was out of envy that the priest, chief priest delivered him up. They were jealous of Jesus. See, Jesus was, was getting such crowds. He was speaking with such authority. He was doing all these miracles, and he was getting the attention. He was getting the power that the religious leaders wanted, and they were jealous of him. So, to retain their power and their position of authority, they were going to do whatever it took, which meant getting rid of Jesus. Because of that, they dismissed who Jesus was. They weren't really thinking straight. They weren't looking logically at it. Here, standing before them, was their promised Messiah, the one that God had promised for centuries, and yet they missed it because they were holding on to their, their power, and they didn't want to let go of that. You know, we can sound very distant and think, well, I'm nothing like that, am I? But you know, when we probe a bit deeper, we are very close to these religious leaders. Have you decided that Jesus can't be true? Have you just dismissed him? You know, if Jesus is who he says he is, then that means something for you. There are implications. If Jesus is who he says he is, that means there's a God. That means you are answerable to someone else for your life. That means there is somebody more powerful than you. That means there is somebody who has a say on how you live your life, what is right, what is wrong. There is someone who claims to be God, and that means that, um, that because of that, that is deep and that is offensive to us because it means that we're not in control. It means that somebody else is the boss and not us. Jesus is coming to us today and saying, I'm Lord, I'm the King, and we don't like that. We don't want him to be Lord. We want to be Lord. We want to be boss. We want to call the shots. I don't know if you've ever been in a car with a, a backseat driver, as they're called, or maybe a passenger seat driver. You know, somebody who just um, is always telling you what to do, maybe saying, um, you know, what you've done wrong, or, you know, you need to go this way, that way. And, and it's hard work, isn't it, if somebody is like that, because they want to be in the driving seat. That's what's going on there. They want to be driving, but you are. Now, in the same way with God, we, we want to be in the driving seat. 
We don't want anybody else there. And so we push God out. I wonder, have you written off Jesus because of the implications? Have you written off Jesus because if he's true, then you know what that means for you in your life? You see the danger. You're not really looking at who Jesus is. Rationality has gone out of the window. You're dismissing the evidence without really taking it and looking at it fairly. No, remember who it is we're looking at here. Jesus is saying, I want to be Lord of your life. I want you to trust me. And we say, oh, no, 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 I, I know what's best. And we kind of think that, that Jesus is this demanding ogre who, who wants to ruin our lives. But look what this passage is showing us. He is relentless in his love. He, he loves you so much that he was willing to, to kind of um, destroy himself so that you wouldn't destroy yourself. He loves you that much. See, the next part of this passage confirms it. How did they eventually find Jesus guilty? Look at verses 61 and 62. He remained silent and made no answer. So he wasn't answering and they couldn't find anything wrong with him. Then they asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, then they say, look at verse 63. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. Now, do you see what Jesus has done? He said something that they've heard as blasphemy. He said something that has made them think, right, we've got him, he's guilty. Now, what Jesus was doing here was he was quoting some of the Old Testament. He was quoting Daniel 7. Listen to what he says uh, in Daniel 7. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, just like Jesus said, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus was saying, you know that person in the Son of, in the son of Man in Daniel? That's me. The one who all the nations are going to worship? That's me. And he says, he started off with, I am. God's name for himself, I am. And they just thought, we've got him because he's, he's making himself equal with God. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. If Jesus would have remained silent, they wouldn't have been able to charge him. But he said this and he knew what that would mean. Now why? Because he knew he had to die. He had to die so that we could be forgiven. He had to die so that we could have a relationship with God restored. The innocent had to go to the cross to die for the guilty, and that's us. Jesus came for his deep love for you. Have you dismissed Jesus because of a bias in you that doesn't want to believe it? Well, look at Jesus again. Please don't dismiss him without good reasons. Think this through. It is logical, it holds together. Have you betrayed Jesus? We all have, but Jesus offers us forgiveness. Have you dismissed Jesus? Maybe you have, well, Jesus again offers you a second chance this morning. And the third question is this, have you denied Jesus? Have you denied Jesus? Jesus is taken to this mockery of a, tri uh, mockery of a trial, but following behind in verse 54, we see is Peter. And Peter is following at a distance. And verse 66 tells us that he is uh, below in the courtyard, so he's kind of underneath. Peter didn't want to be seen. He wanted to see what was going on, but he wanted to keep a distance. But then this little girl pipes up in verse 67 and says, you were with Jesus. And verse 68, Peter says, I don't understand what you mean. 
No idea what you're talking about. And then she tells the others in verse 68, um, you know, this is the man, he's one of them. And again, he says, no, it's not, I, I don't know him. And then the other bystanders maybe recognized him or saw him and knew he was a Galilee and said, yes, yes, you are. And he said, no, and he swears. He says, no, I did not. I, I do not know him. And then the cock crows a second time. And Peter remembers what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? Well, if you turn back to chapter 14, verse 26, it says this. When they'd sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised, I'll go up before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said, if I must die with you, I will. I will not deny you. And then Peter hears the, the rooster crow a second time. And his heart breaks. What have I done? In Luke's account of this uh, section, it says that just after the rooster crows, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. Can you imagine that look? The look that said, Peter, I said, you thought you were strong, but you're weak. Peter, what have you done? And verse 72 tells us he broke down and wept. You know, here is Peter denying Jesus. Have you denied Jesus? You know, we can be very similar to Peter as well. Peter was thrilled to be with Jesus a week ago when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem and all the crowds were praising him, when Jesus was with the crowds and everybody was um, amazed at who, his miracles and his teaching. You know, this Peter thought, he's the king. He's the one, he's the Christ. He's the one that's going to crush the enemies. And I'm with him. I'm one of his close friends. And Peter was thrilled to be there. But now, Jesus doesn't look so strong. Peter's plans that he had in his mind are suddenly falling away because Jesus is arrested. He's seen in, in, in weakness as he's beaten and spat on. And, and Jesus was supposed to be the king, and now Peter's wondering, well, who is he? He was supposed to come and defeat the enemy, but, but now it looks like the enemy's got the upper hand. Peter had it all planned out, and now something had happened that wasn't in his plan, and his world falls apart. I wonder if you can see your likeness. Have you ever felt like God has let you down? You had your life planned out. You thought you knew what was coming next. And this is, happens, then this happens, then it happens. But something happens and your plans have gone out the window. And you blame God. At that point, we are vulnerable. At that point, denying Jesus becomes very easy. You know, we often end up using Jesus, don't we? We have our plans and we want Jesus to serve us to accomplish them. And if, we, if he doesn't, then we deny him. But the cross shows us again. You know, even if things don't look like we expect them to, even if our plans don't come to fruition, God is still working all the time. He has a plan and nobody can thwart it. He has a plan for you and for this world and nobody can get in the way. And he has a plan that will take us to dark places and he can still use those dark times for his glory and our good. If this morning you are doubting the position you're in or the situation you're in, you're thinking, how could God use this? Look at the cross. If God can use the abandonment of his son and the cruel crucifixion for good, then he can use the situation you're in now for a hopeful, in a hopeful way. Keep looking to the cross. 
you know, we're like Peter, aren't we? We have our plans, and when God doesn't come through for us, we can say, right, and done. Or maybe we're like Peter in this way. Peter thought he was strong. Peter thought, yeah, I can, I can conquer the world, as it were. I, I'll, I'll stay with you, whatever, even if everybody else falls away. Peter didn't realize how sinful he was. The reality is that each of our hearts are dark. In us, we have the potential for such sin and evil. And that's why sometimes you might say something and you think, why did I say that? Or you do something and you think, why have I done that? Because we don't realize how sinful we are. But the great news is, Jesus still loves us. His sin is not a surprise. Our sin is not a surprise to, to him. When Jesus rose again, spoiler alert for Sunday, but he does rise again. When he rose again, do you remember what the angel said? Go and tell the disciples and Peter. Make sure Peter knows. I want Peter there as well. And then Peter uh, and Jesus have that breakfast on the beach and, and Jesus asks him again three questions around a fire, just like he does here. And this time, Jesus, uh, Peter answers, I love you three times, rather than I deny you. Jesus is full of grace and love to the failure. Have you denied Jesus? Then the cross shows us that he wants to welcome you again today. Maybe you've wandered far off and you've kind of stumbled across this service. He is inviting you back. Maybe you've been watching every service and just slowly inside you've drifted from him. He's inviting you back. What love that Jesus has for us, even if we deny him. Where were you on the night in question. Have you betrayed Jesus? We have, haven't we? Jesus offers us forgiveness today. Have you dismissed Jesus, ignored the facts, just plowed on with your own agenda because you don't want to believe it's true? Jesus lovingly says, look again this morning. Have you denied Jesus? Try to use him for your own end and when he doesn't come through for you, you've kind of said, that's it. Jesus offers you another chance. Look at the cross. You know, we are all guilty of the death of Jesus. But wonderfully today, Jesus says, you're forgiven. If you're not a Christian watching this, can I really encourage you to, to not put this off, but to turn to Jesus, to trust in him, and to know his, his love for you. If you want to know more, please get in touch. We'd love to send you a book to help you understand Easter better, but just get in touch and ask and say, I want to know more. We would love to help you. And if you're a believer this morning, then marvel again that God would love uh, betrayers, uh, dismissive people, deniers just like us, and welcomes us into the kingdom, welcomes us into the family, because Jesus on the cross there it was rejected for, so that we could be accepted. Let's rejoice in that today and look forward to, to Sunday where we can rejoice together that Jesus is alive. Let's pray before we sing our last hymn. Lord, we thank you for your amazing patience with us, that we who so readily kind of betray and turn away from you, we who dismiss you, we who, uh, who deny you, and yet, Lord, you can forgive us. Please, Lord, help us to rejoice in this today. And if anybody is watching who doesn't yet know you, help them to call out and reach out to you and know that they are safe with you today. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. Thank you for this wonderful love that is so vast, vast as an, as an ocean. Help us to marvel in it today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.